The second reading is Philippians <coughs> chapter 3, starting at verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. May your word live in us. And bear my truth to your glory. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, Chris Johnson, I'm the senior minister here. The last four weeks I've been down at Phrygian. And so Linda's down there this morning, and I'm back here with you, and it's lovely to see such a full church, as full as it can be under COVID. Uh, a number of new faces, uh, welcome especially, we have a number of visitors, I think Chapel Hill Uniting, I was talking to a few at the beginning, so welcome to you. Um, thank you for your prayers for Bridgian. really appreciate that. We've only just got off the ground again down there in the last four weeks, but it has been going well, so... We're just trying to build it up again and get the momentum moving and it's your prayers that will partnership with us in letting that happen. So this morning we're in Philippians. Uh, I want to begin with uh, an article I found in Noosa today, which is I think the one two weeks ago, and it was the story of Matt O'Brien, who is a 21-year-old university student who also is a barista in Nooseville. And he wrote the account of his first Ironman journey. It was up in Cairns, and um, it was quite a gripping tale as he went through each leg and how he was feeling at each stage. And uh, so I'm not going to read the whole story, but just a few snippets. He says, The 3am alarm cut through my rest, and I was greeted with a cup of coffee from Dad. This was it, my first Ironman. In just under four hours, I'd be hitting the waters of Palm Cove near Cairns to swim 3.8 kilometres, 
ride a bike 180 kilometres and to run 42.2 kilometres. Well, he goes through the swim leg, the bike leg. Let me pick it up uh, at sort of halfway through the run leg as he comes into the end. Absolutely exhausted and with a few dramas already happened. Anyway, he says, I forced myself to keep going and tried to get some fuel in. But once I reached the halfway mark, that's just at the run, I was feeling very dizzy and nauseous. The dizziness started to wear off after the longest five kilometres of my life. But I had to sit down at every aid station for anything to remotely feel like I could keep it down. This was his water and electrolytes. Uh, this was also when I had the first severe cramp, my left hamstring, a sign of things to come. The third lap was physically the hardest uh, and where I would lose the most time. I would run until the onset of cramps and then drop back to a walk just before they got too severe, although sometimes I misjudged. At least three times my entire left leg cramped and once both legs cramped simultaneously. These bouts would last for up to a minute and all I could do was stand on the side of the course and grip my teeth. At the airport turnaround, I stopped at an aid station for the final time, sipping on coke, water and electrolytes. I hit the boardwalk with 2.2 kilometres to go as the sun was starting to dip below the mountains in the west. Spasms went coursing through my hamstrings, but I didn't care. I didn't have to worry about saving myself anymore. Hitting that red carpet came with an indescribable rush. A wave of goosebumps came over me and I felt the strangest combination of emotions. Pure joy, overwhelming relief, some disappointment, but a sense of pride for having battled it out. I couldn't tell you exactly what the announcer said as I came down the finishing chute. All I heard was, welcome home, Mr. Matt O'Brien. You are an Ironman. And in post-race, he says, the first thing I did after I crossed the line was ask if there was anywhere to sit. <laughs> they pointed me to a wheelchair, and, and I promptly replied, nah, there's no way I'm sitting in that. Dad was waiting for me outside the recovery area. I gave him a hug and shared a few tears. So that was lovely. You your dad there at the beginning, and dad's there at the end. Give you a big hug cheering all the way, I'm sure. Well, today's reading from Philippians 3 is uh, an athletic metaphor. Uh, Paul wants to describe the Christian race as an athlete running flat out. He says, uh, if you look at it there in chapter 3, verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then verse 13, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And then at the end of our passage, chapter 4, verse 1, he tells the Philippians, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Standing firm here does not mean standing still. It just means being resolute, keeping on going, pushing forward no matter what. Uh, notice also in chapter 4, verse 1, that Paul describes the Philippians as his joy and crown. Now that also is athletic. It's about Paul running his own race, 
and his prize. And you know what his prize is? That the Philippians remain resolute, that the Philippians finish their race well. If he sees that happening, that will be his prize, his crown, and of course his joy, if he sees them doing well. So there's uh, this athletic uh, imagery right through the passage. Tradition has it that the Olympic Games were founded in 776 BC and then held every four years. Initially, the program was completed in just one day, but eventually moved to five days. At the start, the Games were a simple foot race for men and boys who did a single run around the track, which was about 220 metres long. One race, well, I suppose over a number of ages perhaps. Uh, but it wasn't until the 14th Olympiad that the distance was increased and they ran twice around the stadium. And at the 15th Olympian, it appears a long race was introduced, where it might have been 7, 12 or 24 laps of the stadium. So you see, Paul would have known these races. And maybe he's got that in his mind as he talks about the Christian uh, journey as being a race and uses this athletic metaphor. He uses it in a number of his epistles, but here, of course, in Philippians as well. And so we're working through this book under the heading Gospel Call, and today the theme Gospel Call to Perseverance. Paul wanted the Philippians to persevere as Christians uh, in the race, uh, the race of life. He wants them to not rest on their laurels, but to push forward. He likens himself, he says, it's not that I have already obtained all this, and by that he means the resurrection. If you look at the passages before, I'm not already in the resurrected state. No, uh, I I've not yet taken hold of it, but I strain forward for what lies ahead. Now, it's possible that Paul had three groups of people in mind as he was giving this teaching. Uh, possibly Gnostics, possibly Roman citizens, and then Jewish believers. Firstly, the Gnostics. These were people who claimed to have higher knowledge. It may be they thought they'd reached a new level of intimacy with God that was above and superior to the other Christians in the congregation. Uh, they had this special knowledge that they had made it. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't feel that way about his journey. He puts aside the spiritual achievements of the past, whatever high points of spiritual fervour and closeness to God, he put all that aside that he might press on to the future goal. That's what really concerned him. And so he's wanting the Philippians to think in the same way. Put the past behind, it's what lies ahead that matters. There are some Christians today who, who hold a doctrine called entire sanctification. And it says that it is possible to be totally holy now, to reach some point where uh, you can be entirely sanctified. Or sometimes expressed in terms of the victorious Christian life. There's a certain level you can reach and then you step into this victorious Christian life and, and then you've really made it. Well, I don't think Paul sits comfortably with that sort of spirituality. Paul is always aware that there was still more repenting to be done, always looking for future progress, uh, not with a sense that he'd made it, but pressing on towards a goal that was still ahead. 
So there's always Gnostic tendencies within the Christian faith. And I know over the years there's been times I've been tempted down that track. Uh, but we've got to be careful we don't get caught there and think that somehow we've made it or we're, we're better than other Christians. There's always a need for more repentance. So, the Gnostics. Secondly, there was this group, uh, he might have been addressing Roman citizens. Philippi had a proud Roman heritage, and I think Linda's been sharing a bit about that with you the last few weeks. It had the honour of being called a Roman colony, which meant it enjoyed all the privileges of being a Roman city in terms of its local administration and law. The people were Roman citizens, and therefore they enjoyed all the freedoms of that. Uh, for example, a Roman citizen, uh, there was no scourging for Roman uh, citizens. They had a right of appeal to Caesar. Uh, the coins there bore Latin inscriptions. So these were people who would have had a proud Roman identity. To become a Christian, though, was to, to declare that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. And uh, that meant a major step of repentance. And there would always be the temptation to give up the faith, to return, to honour Caesar, to just join in the society they were in, the high life of Rome, uh, which meant indulging in gluttony, sexual immorality. And that's probably what Paul's referring to there in verse 19, where he says their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. Uh, their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul there weeps tears because of the Philippians who have fallen away from the faith, gone back to Rome. And he says many of them now live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul wants them to realise that they have a new citizenship. Look at verse 20. It's not in Rome. No, it's a heavenly citizenship where Jesus is Saviour and Jesus is Lord. And so Paul wants to keep them in the Christian race rather than they fall back uh, and identify with Rome. So maybe these Roman citizens that Paul is addressing here, uh, that they might stay in the race. And then finally, there would have been Jewish converts. Uh, Paul would have been concerned that they didn't go back to the old covenant with its customs and its regulations. Uh, and there probably he had in mind circumcision and some of the food laws. No, he wanted them to continue to pursue Christ. You might recall from last week how Paul set out his credentials as a good Jew earlier in chapter 3. So if you look at verse 5 there, Paul it's like his CV, where he says, look, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But what does Paul say at the end of all of that? I count it as rubbish, dumb, count it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so Paul wants all Jewish followers of Christ to be proud of only one thing, and that's the cross of Christ, uh, and to put behind them uh, their Jewish background in order to fully embrace Christ and know the power of his resurrection. So here Paul may be addressing... Uh, those with Gnostic tendencies, those who are Roman citizens, those who had a Jewish background. But with all of them, he wants to encourage them to stay the course, continue in the race, and to keep their eyes on Christ.
Now, the other thing for Paul here about uh, the, the Christian spirituality that he's uh, trying to promote is what I'll call the now and the not yet. The Christian race is always about the now and the not yet. Now we have every blessing in Christ, but it's still in the future that we take full um, grasp of it in its full reality. Now, yes, but also not yet. And if you look at verse 12, I think this comes out so clearly, where he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so it's the same verb each time of holding on to. I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so Paul has this sense that he belongs to Christ because of Christ's initiative, because of Christ's call, Christ has given him all the benefits of the gospel. Christ Jesus took hold of me, he's saying. So does that mean he just sits back and says, yeah, I'm here for the ride? No. No, he says, I press on to take hold of all of this. That means he has grasped me so that I can now grasp him and all of that means and to run the race to win the prize. All of his effort in the Christian life, it's not about trying to get into God's good books, not trying to win his salvation that way. No, it was just about the amazement that Jesus had taken hold of him, that God would intervene with his grace in his life like that and turn his whole life around. So for Paul, all the blessings of the gospel are now, because what God, of what God has done in Christ, but they are also not yet to be taken still, still to be grasped uh, in full reality as he presses on towards the goal. So the goal, the prize, what is that more precisely? Verse 14, look at that, it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And if you read verse 20, it says, our citizenship is, where? In heaven. So the prize is heaven. What does that mean? I guess the popular image is people with wings and strumming harps floating around on clouds in the sky. I'm sure you've seen those cartoons. But that can't be right because look at verse 21. It says, The Lord Jesus is coming to this earth in order to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're going to have bodies, new bodies, spiritual bodies. And the best understanding we can get of that is, I think, to look at Jesus' resurrected body. Because it says there, it'll be like his glorious body. And after Jesus' resurrection, he fully interacted with his disciples again. You know, he ate, ate, ate meals with them, he talked with them, he re-envisioned them with the gospel. They touched him. Remember Thomas? Now prints in his hands. Uh, he was a real person in front of them. Uh, what's most important, I think, is that they were in personal relationship with him in a whole at a whole new level. Um, we don't really know what life will be like in the next life. The Bible's very vague in giving you detailed description of what it might be like. But you know, one thing we can be sure of is that it'll be about relationship with Jesus that he will be there 
fully human, fully God, in his resurrected body, and we will have resurrected bodies, and we will see him, and we'll be with him, and we will know him. And knowing his smile and his presence and his love will be enough. And so this is where our citizenship is, uh, with Jesus, with this heavenly vision. Uh, in the meantime, we are sojourners here on earth, seeking to bring the values of heaven to this sad fallen world. We are to stand firm in the Lord, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now last Wednesday night, there was a, a major sporting event that happened. Would you believe in Adelaide? part of a, an annual ritual that's a little bit later in the year this time uh, because of COVID, but um, I tuned in and I take it a number of you tuned in. I know I've taken a big risk here because I know there are a few immigrants come from south who are <laughs> living in, the, in, in these parts, but uh, you might recall that New South Wales went into that match hot favourites, didn't they? While Queensland fielded a fledgling rookie team who the experts gave no chance at all. And it was 10-0 at half-time. Seemed like a foregone conclusion, didn't it? The only question was, how much would New South Wales win by? And you know what? I think some of the New South Wales players were thinking that as well. But guess what? Queensland stormed back in the second half and won the match 18-14. So what's the point of me telling you that? apart from gloating just a little. <laughs> well, the point of the story is that New South Wales thought they had arrived. They thought everything would just play out according to the script. They didn't realise how much extra effort was still required to win the prize. Now, in many ways, you could liken life to a football game. There's lots of hard knocks and setbacks, aren't there? There's times when everything's going against you. There are also times when we think we're on top, when we think we've worked out life and everything's going cruisy and just happens. But my friends, it's not how you start the game, but how you finish. Whatever the difficulties you might be going through at the moment or whatever the successes are at the moment, it's uh, not looking to the past, but how we finish. The Apostle Paul knew both success and failure, but he never got complacent. So he says today in this reading, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived, but I press on. And verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so this morning we have this gospel call to persevere, to keep running the race at full stretch and to push on towards that goal, which is Christ. Amen.